All right. Welcome, Community Church. This is service number two. I'm, uh, I'm just looking for this verse. We'll see if I can find it. Ah, Psalm 139. It says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. As we lean in this morning, I want to encourage you to seek God, to lean into Him. I believe there's more beauty in God available than we can even begin to delineate. And this is what the psalmist is touching. He said, Oh God, your thoughts are so precious. They are innumerable. And it's one thing to be innumerable. But to me, uh, it's the, the beauty of God's thoughts. I pray that the wonder, splendor, majesty of his thoughts would fall upon you with great awe today. If you're watching online, that through the airways, the presence of God that is here would begin to materialize where you are. Lord, we want to fall in love with you more and more. God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship him. Father, we ask today that you would enable us to explore the depths, the heights, the widths of your great love. God, that we we would be in awe of you. Father, that we would be quick to trade our righteousness for your righteousness. That we will be quick, Lord, to repent. Quick, Lord, to say you are good. And that there is none like you that, Lord, we could manifest the full extent of your glory. In the earth, we pray. Oh, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Oh, God, we pray, fill us. Fill us with deep desire for you. God, I pray that we could be abandoned in our pursuits to you. God, I pray in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, so glad you could be with us this morning, and I'd love to lean in and seek for more of God. And there's some things this morning I want to talk about that are, I believe, are instrumental in that, in that process. We are called to seek Him, and we have this promise that if we seek Him with all of our hearts, we're going to find Him. You may think, well, I, I found Him. No. You've seen a part of him. What yet is hid from your eyes? 
And are you content with the portion that you have? And what if you discovered that the portion you have is a tiny sliver? That there are leaps and leaps and leaps above what you presently have. Oh God, Father, prepare a people that seek your face. You know, I quote the scripture a lot from the Psalms, but it says, uh, the generation of Jacob that seeks his face is going to appear on the earth. And it's speaking about a generation who touched the fullness of what it is we're called to. It's a real thing. It could be us. But there's a work of God that needs to happen in our hearts. And it's, it's available. So we say, God, show me today what I don't know, what I haven't seen. Lord, create in me possibilities I've not imagined. And Lord, even as you said that in your word that you can do above what I can ask or even think, Lord, I pray that the vast expanse of what is possible would come into vision as we've sung, Lord. That, Father, the idea that there's something deeper, something better, Father, would not just be a part of a language we've adopted, adapted to our, to our expression, but, Father, it would be the reality. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks, guys. Can you give them a hand? Thank you. Thank you, Father. You know, uh, I'm always delighted to hear good things about our people. <laughs> I love our people. I think we have the best people on the face of the earth. We got great people. They sound like Donald Trump. We got great people. The best people. <laughs> I, I, I believe that. I believe that. In fact, I actually got a prophetic word from Bob Jones before I came here. And it was about the quality of the people that were here. I don't think it's exclusive to this church. Uh, but I think, I believe God has been preparing a people in this region who will touch special things in the heart of God. And, uh, and I, I think we're still mining that capacity. We're still uh, in that process. So I got some sermon helps today. These are sticks. We're going to do a Star Wars illustration early, later. Going to get some people hitting each other with batons. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I've got a couple of passages of scripture I want to look at, but... I want to I want to try and share and weave this together with part of my testimony this morning. Um, there are some fundamentals in the gospel that do not change, that are essential part of the equation of our lives all the way through, and uh, and one of them I just touched on is the idea of seeking God. There's a generation that will seek His face. Well, you think, well, what about us? Haven't I, I, I seek God. I occasionally pray. I occasionally fast. I occasionally, you know, do what's necessary to draw near to God. What if I told you that there was a measure of that very thing that's above what you've touched, above what's possible right now in your life? 
What would it do to you? Would it condemn you? Would it shame you? Would it make you think, oh, I must have more of that then? Or would it be, who do you think you are telling me that I'm not enough? I, I, I want you to know that the way of the cross is death to one thing and life to another. It is always something that's diminishing and something that's increasing. And I guarantee you, the part that's diminishing is not him. <laughs> you know, I mean, it stands to reason, except, you know, the, you're stuck, like I'm stuck. And is we don't know what to regard and what not to regard. Kind of reminds me of this scenario I had years ago. I, I was writing articles. The Lord told me to write articles, and I would write these articles. And I remember meeting Rick Joyner and spending three days with him, drove him all around the city. I was living in Vancouver then, but these guys flew me back here to, to spend those three days with Rick Joyner. And it was a delightful time for me. It was the first time I really sat with a, a prophet that clearly understood more things than I did. Up to that point, I was frustrated by the fact that everything that I wanted to talk about with leaders and pastors was enigmatic to them, and they looked at me with suspicious eyes, like, you know, where, where, what kind of loony bin are you from? And when I talked to Rick Joyner, it was like the first time I knew not only did he understand what I was talking about, but he could add to it. And uh, it, was, it was so affirming in one sense, but this is the reality. When you get with people who have more light than you, eventually uh, you lose that sense of enamorment and you start to be, uh, you start to be interfered with. And, uh, and he began to interfere with me and, uh, in, a, in a nice way. But I remember I gave him a couple of my articles and I wanted him to be impressed. And uh, the next morning he came, he said, well, he said, I, I, uh, I read your stuff. He says, um, I read your articles. He said, he said, you got the stuff. He said, but you're like me. You can't write worth beans. And I was thinking, okay, should I be insulted or encouraged? Like you, that's not a bad thing. Can't write worth beans. Yeah. I'm not sure I fully agree with your assessment. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, he, you know, I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> You know, I wasn't willing to write him off right then, you know, given that he was an internationally known writer and voice. And, you know, so I thought, yeah, you might know something I don't know. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that's hard. It's actually, actually, that's always hard for us. It's very hard for us to believe that somebody knows something we don't know. Somebody sees something we don't see. So much so that when I first became a Christian and met up with other leaders and grew in the ministry and stuff like that. I run across this attitude all the time, that this willingness to diminish what's possible to suggest that, no, there's none of us that is touching any more than any, any others of us. And that was a specific go-to for a lot of leaders that, you know, if anybody says there's something deeper out there, don't believe them. They're just, you know, trying to sell you snake oil. And uh, because there's something about us in what we presently know that is extremely limiting. It's a, it's, a, it's a brass ceiling we can't break past, and anything beyond us is suspect. That's the way it works. It's suspect. If somebody starts to talk about going to heaven and experiencing angelic things, first thing is, yeah, right. No, I haven't been to heaven. But anyway, getting ahead of myself here. The uh, Get back to Rick Joyner. So... 
he says to me, he, sa- he says, yeah, you can't write worth beans. Uh, thanks for that. He says, the secret to writing is editing. He said, the Lord spoke to me from the Psalms. It says, the, the, the words of the Lord are pure words, purified. Purified seven times, like silver tried in the furnace of the earth. So he said, you need to edit and edit and edit. And I, I said, well, that's fine for you to say. My problem is this, is when I write something and I go back to it, and I reread it with the full intention of editing and find something to change, I look at it and I think that's brilliant. There's not a word there I would change. Like, man, I couldn't have said it better if, you know, I can't say it better. Like, like this is great. This is awesome. And, uh, and, uh, and he didn't have an answer for that. <laughs> yeah. What answer do you bring? Delusion. <laughs> right? It's like, uh, so anyway, you know, I, it's not that I didn't believe him. It's not that I didn't think it was possible. It just was not within my arsenal right at that moment. How do you, how do you change something if you don't know what to change? Right? I mean, uh, if you can't see that, if you're colorblind and somebody tells you, put no, the green shirt. I said the green shirt. Well, they're all the same to me. Right? If you can't see the difference, how can you make a distinction? And that's, that's, that's the way in which we are limited. We cannot make distinctions that are possible in God unless God gives us the ability to make that distinction. And so that ability to make that distinction is in his hands for him to give, and it's a miracle when he does it. It's not the product of your intelligence. It's not the product of your skill. It's not the product of anything that emerges from you, everything you have, if you have any ability. If you have any ability to taste coffee and say, oh, this is a really good cup of coffee, this is, eh. Have you ever run into people who don't know the difference between good coffee and bad coffee? Best coffee they ever had was Folger's. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, it's, it's coffee. What do you mean, coffee? There is a world of difference between good and, and anyway, I won't insult any people of the earth. But the point is, if you can't make that distinction, well, you have the same. Same. So I'm, I'm going in and I'm reading these things and, I don't know. How do I edit something? I can't see what to change. Anyway, a miracle happened because that three days I spent with him, from that time forward, I could not go back to anything I'd written without seeing glaring holes in it. And, and that skill, that, was that ability to see, began to grow and develop. But it was literally imparted. It was given to me. It wasn't, a, I, I didn't go to a class, I didn't learn something, there was no tweaking, you know, instrument that I, that I was given, you know, it was just, when you, when you read, you hear the sound, you feel the lack of God, I, I started feeling the lack of God in certain senses, well, was it not true? No, it's not about not true or true, it is a quality of God in the words that is beyond whether it's correct or incorrect. There are layers of the impartation of God in things that, that are beyond the, the doctrinal value. I can quote, you know, we know that, right? We, uh, theoretically, we know that. The sons of Sceva, they said the right words. Come out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. The problem, 
There was no substance behind it. The words were, come out in the name of Jesus. Wonderful theology. But there's no power behind it. There's no kingdom in that because there's, there's something lacking. You've got the outer form of that thing. You've got the superficial likeness of that thing, but you've got none of the power that makes it the kingdom of God. Well, how do I know the difference? See, this is the difference in anything, everything. Two people sing the same song, equally pleasant, same tonal quality, hit all the notes, but one, you are in tears and weeping, and the other one is like, that was really nice. What's the difference? Something other than the outer shape of it. Do we have eyes to see? Do we know if we don't have eyes to see? Are we willing to hear from God about how limited we are? Such, because that's where it starts. If you don't think you're limited, that's pride. God resists the proud. In other words, I'm not going to give you that ability you don't want. These are treasures. He's saying, listen, I got, I got loads of this stuff. The ability to, to, to separate between the holy and the profane, I got that in spades. Do you want some of it? No, I, I value what I'm doing right now, and it pains me for you to suggest there's something wrong with it. Right? <laughs> Welcome to my life. Now, again, <laughs> I mean, I, I do that for others, but it's because God did that for me. And I don't do it to put anybody down or say you're less. It's just, hey, something more is available. Come up higher. Just how high can we come? Well, this whole thing, you know, for me, revealed some things. And I've been on this journey like all you, you've all been on a journey. But my journey is perhaps a little bit different than that I get. I've had a chance to, to rub shoulders with global figures in the body of Christ. And I... I ask the question, what have they got that I don't? You know, what, what makes them different from me? And I've been in all kinds of environments all over the face of the world. I go to meetings. I, I, I'm with apostles. I'm with prophets. I'm with, you know, all kinds of different denominations and streams. And I'm looking at the people and I'm thinking, what, is, what are the characteristics? What are the things that God blesses? What is God looking for that causes him to give this person more favor than this person? And it's not this person is terrible, but, but man, when this person prays, the room opens up. And heaven comes down. And this person, I can find no fault with their language. I can find no fault with their grammar, their theology. Yet, they don't move me the way this person moves me. What is the difference? And if there is a difference, can it, you know, is it, is it static? Can it change? Can I get more of that stuff? Or am I stuck? Well, this is who I am, you know, take it or leave it. Let me read a passage, Hebrews 1.9. I already shared this this morning, but it, it might be a little bit different. In fact, it already feels different in this meeting than the other meeting. All due respect to people who are in the first meeting. I don't know why it's different. Maybe I'm different. Don't say anything. Oh, yeah, you're different. Hebrews 1, verse 8. The Hebrews writer is talking about Jesus and says this. And, but to the Son, he says, this is the Father speaking to the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I love this verse because it's giving us, it's giving us one of these paradoxical reasons why this happens. That despite the fact that God loves us all, he loves some of us more than others. Did you know that? Oh, so I know that bothers some people's theology. John was beloved of Jesus, and not just because John said so. You know, John was the one who wrote that. <laughs> and the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> but I didn't know there was a clear preference. And I, again, I don't want to talk about that today. But the fact is, we are not equally beloved of God. And I'll give you a hint. It's how much of that love you can absorb. It's all about what you receive, what you pull in of him. And that's what we're talking about. Is how do we change how much I draw from God? And I'll give you the quick answer. The quick is how much you want. How much you actually want in your heart of hearts. Or you know what? My, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I could use a little tweaking. A little off the top, please, Lord. But the rest is good. No, this, this basically is saying, it's given us a kind of a, a mathematical equation, it's, and it's answering a lot of questions. Listen, it says, it says the, the anointing of God increases on you dependent upon how much you hate iniquity and love righteousness. Your ability, willingness... To see a distinction between one level of righteousness and another level of righteousness is, is a determining factor. So he says, listen, I rolled the dice and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really pour out on, on Jimmy Donater. I'm really going to pour out on, on Di Bittner, you know, just because I'm in a mood. Let me see whose name comes up. Turn the dial, spin the wheel. God is not an accidental God. He's purposeful. He's, he acts by design. My question was, you know, I go to these meetings, and I remember being frustrated at times. I mean, I, and again, the, the, the journey is long, but I remember walking with David Demian so many times and thinking, you know, why don't you value more what I bring? I know why now. <laughs> Again, because, you know, we, this is a really good teaching. And this, that, that was what I thought. This is a really good teaching. There's wisdom in this. He said, yes, but I don't want teaching right now. We want something of this quality. Well, I couldn't even see the difference between the thing that you're asking and the thing that I'm offering. Okay, well, then you're not in a position to make a difference here, are you? But something about me, Wendy says it. This way, she says, well, you're always confident, but you're not always right. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if some of you like this, you get a piece of Ikea furniture, right? And, and it doesn't go together. My first, my go-to is they made it wrong. <laughs> right? They made it wrong. I, there's no chance I'm not putting this together correctly. 
No, there's always an if, but, but I'm always stuck between, okay, I can't really press forward because I don't know if I'm wrong or they're wrong. Well, let me put this to bed. Oh, when it comes to you and God, you and downloading kingdom things, it's always you. It's always you. There's no chance that God's wrong. There's no chance that God mistook, oh, wait, that guy, is a, he deserves way more anointing, way more stature in the body of Christ. I should have made him an international apostle instead of an elder in the backwoods church. Have you ever thought that? Like, God, why Benny Hinn? Why not me? Why not give me a worldwide ministry of anointing and power? I would, I would handle this with a lot more humility. Sure you would. That God just didn't see that. And he was in need of somebody, and you didn't, you know, he, yeah, he knows everything, but I guess this one escaped him. Right? Can you see the fallacy in what we believe, the judgments we make? And it's like, like, oh, no, God, you are the one that promotes, but why is that guy promoted? That's unrighteousness, clearly, because I should have been. I'm better than him. Hallelujah. Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Is there any tangible reason why God will do that for one and not for another? He says so. He says, because he has set his love upon me. So we try to measure up. We try to do what's right. And we think, because we, we deal in superficial increments, we think that, well, my prayer was just as good as that prayer. How do you even know? Like, can you see the, like, honestly, I, I don't mind talking about this in terms of my life because it's not really embarrassing to me. Because I've already seen in the mirror and I feel like all of heaven has seen my nakedness. And so it's, it's, I'm not surprised. I'm not astounded. I'm not frustrated. I am aware of the levels of presumption I've walked into and the way I have boasted myself and preferred myself and, and uh, valued myself more than what others do. And I think, well, why would that guy... See, whenever I got a promotion, whenever I got distinguished in ministry, well, you know, I thought, well, of course. And it happened as a young believer. I mean, the, the moment I stepped foot on that campus, God began to promote me. And I thought, absolutely. But I, I didn't know the reasons why. It was not for the reasons I thought. It was not because of my correctness. It was not because of any of those things. It was because of a, a heart capacity that I had that eventually I, I topped out on. And I started getting around people. I think, well... Why is that person, and I, I, won't, I won't tell you the way I measured people, but usually we measure people around things that we're good at. Right. We, you know, if there's 10 possible characteristics of what God likes, and, and, and we do number seven really, really well, somehow number seven becomes the most important. 
Okay, I don't knew number two that well, but it's not really nearly as important as number seven. Number seven is what's most prized to God. If you actually brought that system of valuation out and could put it on paper, people would find fault with it. God has a system of evaluation. And Jesus is the king of kings. He's been given a name above every other name. He has been given the oil of gladness more than anybody else. He, God was quick to deliver him when he cried out because of something that he carried. He loved righteousness and hated iniquity. He loved righteousness. I remember uh, Rick Joyner talking about John Wimber when he died. And he wrote this. He said, John Wimber loved the things that God loved. I thought, oh, that's what I want. And I've been, part of seeking God is saying, God, show me where I don't line up with you. Show me where I don't love what you love. Show me where I'm deceived. Show me where there's darkness in my life. That's my cry. That's my, that's my prayer. Remember Mike Bickle praying the same thing. He said, God, shock me now. Don't shock me later. Because he said, he was teaching on the judgment seat of Christ. He said, we're all going to stand in front of him one day. Why not find out now? Right? Do you want to live 40 years in ignorance, creating a, a system, a churchy, you know, a denominational system that's riddled with kingdom holes? It's void of so much of the power in life, but it's, you know, it's the works of your hands, therefore you regard it. Only to find out, yeah, nope, 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 a little bit, nope, nope, nope. Because what he's offering us is the truth that sets us free. But we badly want to be affirmed more than we want to know the truth. I'm straying a little bit. But, see, Jesus, and anybody, anybody really, think about this. I will set him on high because he has known my name. I will deliver him because he set his love on me. I will answer him when he calls upon me because of these things. Have you ever found yourself in a position like, where's God? Where's, where's God? Why, isn't, why aren't more things happening? Why, in God, why isn't God swift to deliver me? And the, the Bible says, yeah, because the Bible has conditions. It always has conditions. But I cried out. I said, God, help me. No, no, no. You have to cry out with more intensity. God, help me. No, no, more, with all your heart. Jesus! <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> We've been talking about the same stuff for years here. The capacity of your heart. If you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. God has set it out there. This is the criteria. Do you want to know more of God? Do you want to see God? Do you want to experience God? Cry out with all your heart. Well, I, I am. No, you're not. Either God is a liar or you're a liar. Because he said, if you do this, I'll do this, and he's not doing it. So you're saying? Hmm. But I do, what you should be saying, but I don't know how to cry out more. Okay, that's a start. 
That's a starting place. I, I don't know. I don't even know what's holding me back. I remember hearing a, a sermon from a guy. I can't remember his name. But, but the whole sermon, it was a great sermon. It was all about wholeheartedness. And he realized that he was paralyzed by, I don't know, half-heartedness. Paralyzed by half-heartedness. He thought, he, thought I, he, he started to realize he doesn't know how to give himself to anything. And, and he, it, it came about, I remember one time he said, he said, uh, he said I was, we were out at the beach, Bible, school, Bible college students were out at the beach, and everybody was running down the end of this dock and there was this rope out there and they get out there and you jump and you swing and it's a great thing and and uh everybody said well come on maybe his name's ken i can't remember his name ken you go he said but i didn't want to go i don't like doing this stuff in front of people and i mostly he's afraid of doing it wrong so so he said so so what i did i is i just uh, you know sauntered down you know i didn't run and i just you know I'm not here to perform like a monkey for you people. And he said, so I got to the end of the dock, and I reached out, and I realized, well, it's actually not close enough to, to grab. And, uh, and so he, he reached out a little further, and he still couldn't get it, and he finally he, he reached out and grabbed it, but now he's, he's stuck. He can't actually pull it back. He's too far out that he can't. He, he, he can't, uh, you know, he can't pull back. And he's thinking, what an awkward place to be. <laughs> but God began to put his finger on all the ways that he had an inability to be full-hearted. And this is what I'm saying. Do we have an ability to appreciate that maybe we're going through the motions of certain things and maybe we're doing due diligence and as much as we know to do due diligence, but God is looking for people who serve him from a fullness of heart. From a fullness of heart. Oh God, we want, I pray this prayer for us and I pray that your heart would fully agree, God. We want to be here in Spruce Grove, a people that cry out and that cry out with all of our hearts. God, in Jesus' name. I, I mean, let me, let, me think, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid to do? What are you afraid that pastor's going to ask you to do on a Sunday? What, if I ask you to shout, if I bring you out of the crowd and put you up here, say, we're all going to shout, and so-and-so is going to lead us, would that kill you? <laughs> Maybe, eh, Paul? <laughs> Right? Why? This is the thing. Why would that kill you? What is it? Why? It's all about hiding. And we all hide. What is it that makes us want to hide? What is it that it causes us shame or embarrassment or awkwardness? I mean, if, if we're full-hearted, this is what David was. He danced literally almost naked. I mean, stripped down from his royal robes. He was naked naked, but I mean, way more naked than a king should ever be in front of people. So much so that his wife was a little surprised, a little put off, right? 
But he's, he's like, you know, there's, there's no pretentiousness in me. I don't need to parade as a king or, or demonstrate my dignity in any way. I can abase myself. And he said, I'll be even more undignified than this. We love that song. We love singing about that. We think, oh, what a heart that David had. I'm going to not do that, but I'm going to sit back and regard the way he did it. You know what God's looking for? A people who are that hungry. Yeah, but, you know, pouring out my whole heart, that's kind of, I'll tell you what, I don't like crying. I don't like crying in front of people. You know why? What's that, uh, what's that terminology? Messy? No. Sloppy? Ugly. Ugly cry. Yeah, I, I can't cry gently. My wife sits there, you know, she sort of dribbles, right? It's like, I don't dribble. So I got to hold it back because there's this tsunami of emotion. And when, it, when I let it go, it's just ugly. This. I don't want to look like that around people. What is it you don't want to look like that keeps you from regarding your appearance more than seeking him? Well, does God really want that? Absolutely, yeah, he does. Well, can we frame a scenario that exposes? No, it's not, for, it's not my job to do that. That's why I'm not going to call you to come up here and shout and lead us in a kingdom shout or a dance. But here's my question is, and this is what God always put to me. He said, what, he, he's, always, he's always pointing out things that are standing between me and him. He said, okay. You're unwilling to do that? Why? I mean, one of the first things was, was uh, for me, giving up drugs, giving up rock and roll, giving up uh, all kinds of things. But one by one, he put his finger on I remember this big one was my hair. I had really long hair. And at this Bible school I was going to, they wanted you to cut your hair. I thought, oh, So I hesitated and I delayed and I felt like, why, why is this important? <laughs> you know, why do they want to make me cut your hair? And the Lord said, why can't you? Right. You're the one that's making it important by holding on to it, but you're putting the shoe on the other. Well, it's, why is it so important to them? Because it's important to you. Oh. Can I be a Christian and not dance? Sure you can. Why would you want to be? What can I get away with that doesn't reflect on my heart? No, everything reflects on your heart. Anything that's more valuable to you than his presence is in the way. And so he part. This has been my journey. He puts his finger on it. Okay. And how long is it? How, you know, we're dealing with things, and the first thing's really pretty fast. Ooh, a little bit of a hesitation there. The haircut thing was like a month. Getting closer and closer to that date, and, and then finally God put an ultimatum to him. He said, he said, if you want to follow my path, deal with this. There's an idolatry around your hair. Cut your hair. Why is this such a big deal, I thought. 
because I was invested in something. I regarded something. I valued something more than something else. You think, well, yeah, but these things aren't exactly righteousness. No, but they demonstrate an unwillingness. Paul says, I've lost all things for the sake of the knowledge of him. And you're holding on to what? Hair? What? Freedom of freedom to watch any show you want? What? God decides what's important. And what's important to one may not be the same as what's important to another. And somebody might be permitted to to dabble in something that you're not, but because he's not, he's not valuing that thing. Anyway, the, the 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 long and short of it is this: is that is that God is saying to us, "Listen, I am offering you life. I am offering you myself. I am offering you the greatest treasure. The treasures of knowledge are hid in Christ." There are things that can be unfolded in your life. I have more power, more authority, more kingdom positions, more influence, more anointing, more gladness, more of everything that you need. But you're not willing to make a trade. I've shared this before, but we're like those hoarders. right? You know the hoarders? They go into the house like, eh, can we throw out this bag of garbage here? It's got uh, rotten tomatoes in it. Oh, I got that on the anniversary of my fourth visit to Costco. <laughs> right? We affix some importance to things that we sh- that should not be important, and we value them. And that blinding value, regard that we have for this thing that we're holding on to, is impeding us from, letting, from getting something else. And God is saying, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. How badly do you want this? How badly do you want more of me? Oh, really Badly. Father, I pray today, God, in Jesus' name, you make it clear for us. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says this. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the foundation of living water, and hewn cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so Israel, and this, this is one of these classic paradigms, where it's saying, listen, this is the central issue, that on one side God is offering us Pure, unadulterated, refreshing water of life. On the other side, we can create our our own version of this. And what we do is we hold on to our own version of that. And we're not willing to let it go. And I, even as I'm touching this, I feel, like, I, I feel like we've just skimmed alongside a massive spiritual stronghold in our lives. And I want to say to you this, that the kingdom of God is coming and to remove and bring down every idolatry, everything that's raised up against the knowledge of God, everything that's valued more than the presence, more than the beauty, more than the awe that is in him is an idol. 
It is worthy to be brought down and destroyed. O oh God, bring a manifestation of your glory that will cut to our hearts. Father, thank you, Lord. So we have this choice. And on the surface, we say, well, I, I want this one. Yet we keep choosing this one. But we don't know that's what we're doing because the way God has created these moments in our life where we're choosing, they're obscured. And it, they're obscured this way. It's like, think about it this way. Do you remember the, the challenge? Remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, and there was John Mark, and there was a schism between them? Remember there was a, a, a fight between... It's actually... Uh, he didn't like John Mark because he left him at some point, and then was it Barabbas? Not Barabbas. Barnabas. Barnabas went, and they split. You know, at first it was it was Paul and Barnabas, and then they split and went. And I remember somebody preaching on it said, "Which way did the focus of the gospel go? Did it follow Barnabas or follow Paul? It followed Paul, right?" I mean, the book of Acts, right? You hardly see a mention of Barnabas after that, after he wasn't with Paul. I mean, the light of God's anointing for the early church was on Paul much more than it was on Barnabas. And that is a picture of what happens. Oftentimes in our lives, we have moments where we separate from people, and, and, uh, and we, we do it because there's a disagreement. We do it because we think we're right. We do it because... And I... Uh, I have to say, I had a chance to do that many times with my spiritual father and David Demian. Many times that I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure I regard your opinion on this thing. I think I'm better than you. <laughs> I didn't say it at that, like that at that time, but that was in effect what it was. And I always had to come back to the grassroots. Is it possible that he sees more clearly than me? And I, and I was thinking about it, well, all the evidence is that, yes, he sees infinitely more clearer than me. Yet in this area, I don't want to abandon. I want to hold on to this little offense. Because I think, well, yeah, he sees more clearly, but, 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 there are moments in our life where we can choose to embrace something, and the evidence is always right there in front of us. And I know this sounds enigmatic at this moment, but that's the way these challenges are. When God brings you to a place and you, you are beginning to balk at the glory of the Lord, at what he is bringing into your life to refine you, you can hold on. And what you're holding on to is a stronghold you don't know you have. And God is trying to bring a separation in your life in order to bring you to something larger, something greater, something. But it involves a death. It always involves a death. You have to die to some opinion you have. And I told you this before, but I remember when it came with Gideon. I remember, I remember being, being at the church, and all of a sudden I, I, I was thinking... I, I believe he sees something that is a defect in me that I cannot see. And it was so hard to come to that conclusion, but I thought there's something he sees in me, and I want him to promote me. I want him to use his influence to, to open doors for me in the, in the nations, and he's not doing it. And I, I can either say, well, it's because he's controlling me. It's because he's against me. It's because he, he knows I'm so anointed, I'm going to ex you know, exceed him. And he's puny and petty. 
But all the evidence says otherwise. <laughs> but I still have that choice. Mm. And as much as it's obvious, no, this is the most humble man you know in the face of the earth, there was still a really good case for saying, no, he's just trying to hold me back. You ever been in that situation? So easy to think Ikea made the mistake. I thought, oh God, no, I need to stay with him. There's something that's hindering me from my future. He sees it and I don't. When I came to that conclusion, something released from my life. Something changed fundamentally because I was holding on to something. It was, it was a belief that I know better than my spiritual father. Now, he wasn't claiming to be perfect, but it was this orchestrated divine moment where God is saying, Which you, do you want to go up higher or do you want to plateau here? Because I've called you to things higher, but it, re, it needs this thing being removed from you that you don't even know you have. Ah, this is so hard. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But we have these moments over and over and over again. And the hardest thing is to submit to the workings, to the ministry, to the influence of something we don't completely know how correct it is. But we have an inkling that there's more there than I presently have. But when, you're, when your flesh is coming to death, it will emanate fear. It will emanate with self-preservation. It will vibrate with an intensity that wants to sustain itself, and it doesn't want to go. That's why, it, that's why when I was a young Christian, it took me two weeks to dance for the first time. I remember thinking, oh, this looks so great. This is the liberty of running down there and dancing and you know, they're doing the Pentecostal two-step. It was at Christ for the Nation in Dallas, Texas. But, but it's so embarrassing. Like, you know, what if I, I don't know how to do it. Should I practice in my room? Like, you know, I, you know, and at one point, it's like, I don't care. I don't care if I do it wrong. I'm abandoning myself. And I realize that reluctance to do this. Why can't you abase yourself? Why can't you just, so who cares if you do it wrong? Well, but I, I don't want to look like that guy. Come on. Hey? Right, Sean? I don't want to look like that guy. Spent all my time judging that guy. You're going to be him, man. (laughs) Uh, See, what was that thing I said a little while ago on Facebook? I said, what if the greatest contributor to anxiety is the possibility others might judge us the way we're judging them? (laughs) <laughs> that's why we don't want to do things like oh I gotta go up there and dance with my long gangly legs you know how many people have mocked for doing that <laughs> no my worship here quiet but it's from the heart it's sincere it's full I just you know don't want to look bad <laughs> mm-hmm. the issue here is, and I know my time is, is waning is is about the heart. The turning of the heart is harder than you imagine. I give this illustration this morning. I said, put out your hand. Everybody put out your hand. I turn your hand over. 
It's easy to do, right? Because there's no vested interest in one way or another. It's like there's, there's nothing hanging in the balance there. You can turn your head. It's no problem. The reason we can't repent is because we can't turn our hearts. We don't know how to turn our hearts. The reason is is because your heart operates on a, on a paradigm of love. What you love is what you're inclined towards. And in the same way that God is saying, listen, Israel, Israel have this option to turn fully towards my provision, but instead they made a really terrible version of what I have, and they would rather drink out of this than this. That illustration is, is the reality of our whole lives. And what's happening is repentance is a continuous part of a journey. Your heart is turning more and more and more and more and more towards him. And the result is you get to experience more of him. This morning when I got up, I was just, I was just enjoying the thoughts of God. I felt like I was under this river, like a rainbow river of colors and flavors of the knowledge of God. It was just, I couldn't hardly sit still and write some things down because it was just so beautiful. And I just thought, how marvelous are your thoughts, oh God. There are windows of provision of the presence of God available to our lives. And the difference between those that are getting it and those that are not getting it is desire. But how do you how do you change your loves? How do you change what you value? Father, I pray, God. Pray you help us here, Lord, in Jesus' name. I don't have that much time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump down to the end. And I want you to turn to Luke eleven, if you have a Bible. Luke eleven, verse three. And I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about what it is that God is doing, why we have church, and why there's preaching Sunday after Sunday. Believe me, the information you get from preaching is not the lion's share of what you're supposed to get. The data, the verses, the precepts, the principles, those are great. But the greatest effect of preaching is to turn your heart. It actually, the, the, the net effect of the preaching is to turn your heart towards God because your heart is, is born with self-confidence. It is focused on me. It trusts me more than anything. Your heart is dedicated to yourself more than anything else. And it's a very hard thing to change. And I can't explain all of the dynamics socially of how we come to church and, and we can go through the motions of doing things, but the reality is we do things that our heart is not in, and we wonder why God doesn't show up. But the equation of the Scripture is, if you love me with all your heart, if you seek for me with all your heart, you will find me. If you set your love upon me and cry out to me, I will answer speedily. We say, well, God's not coming to help me. There must be some other reasons. Certainly not because there's anything wrong with me. I'm sure I'm doing it right. Must be, well, it's not God because that wouldn't be right. It's his church. It's the other believers. That's the problem. No, it's all about us. I want to hit the mark with this if I can. In Hebrews, I mean in Luke 11, verse 13, 
Jesus is asking about, he's talking about perseverance. He's talking about seeking God. And this is what he says. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Have you ever thought one sometime, you know what, I knocked and the door wasn't open. I sought and I didn't find. I asked and I didn't receive. Have you ever thought, you know, well, what's the deal? What's the deal? I, I did this stuff. A lot of people out there not serving God today because, you know what, the, the preacher said, that verse said, if I just did this. Yeah, but it's, it's not just asking. It's asking with a quality of faith. Everything is, everything, nothing in the Bible is about surface things. It's about the heart posture behind the surface thing. So here, let me, let me explain this to you, make it clear. If you did the thing you thought you were supposed to do, but nothing happened, it's because you didn't really do it right. Again, we're going back to Ikea. No, 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 I did it right. I, I wanted it more than anything I've ever wanted before. So that must be enough. No, he said, if you seek me with all your heart, I sought him with all my heart. I just, there's no possible way I could have sought him more. Says who? What do you know? How much do you know? How well do you know your heart to know you sought God with all your heart? Well, I just believe it to be so. Yes, and that's the problem. You believe it to be so. When push comes to shove, I believe the way I'm doing it is correct and God should honor it. Okay, Cain. Right? That's exactly what played out in Genesis. The, the, the quarrel was my way or the highway. And Cain said, yeah, but my way is just as good. Do you know how much energy I put into this? Okay, so you value that, therefore I should value it as much? Oh, well, yeah, but no, but I'm doing it the right way. Here's the biblical way. Here's the theology. Here's the scripture. Here's this. Here's this. Here's this. That's what the, that's what the Jews did all the time. And God said to them, you, you, you thought I was altogether like yourself. You have this superficial idea of what is the way I think and what I want. And you're sure you do it right. And you're not even close. Furthermore, when I send my son to you and tell you you're not even close, you're going to kill him. That's the fallen nature. That's the result of idolatry. That's the outcome when we choose our cistern and not his. So are you saying this? Are you guys with me? Is this hurting? It's not painful, right? This is freeing. I want to free your hearts. I want you, I want you, see, what I'm trying to show you is this cannot be trusted. You cannot be trusted. Your value system cannot be trusted. He He knows everything. And when you cross that proverbial finish line that he requires for something to be done, it will be done. And the proof that you haven't crossed it is it didn't happen. Well, why is it always me having to do more? Really? (laughs) Do you have to ask that question? Well, I'm tired of going through the motions and things not happening and that pastor probably lying 
Okay, in other words, God, come and serve me when you've proven yourself to me, done things the way I want them. Then I'll give you a token of your, what you deserve. Can you see the, any pride in that, any su- superiority, any conflict at all? These are the things that lurk in our hearts. And we gather together and we say, God, come and move in power. It's like, yeah, if you'd actually call on me, I would. Well, we're using your name. We're saying the right things. We're singing, we're singing Bethel songs. Come on. <laughs> right? We have all this superficial criteria we value so much. Anyway, we're funny, eh? Especially Ben. <laughs> so anyway, he says, listen. He says, seek and knock. And then in verse 11, he gets down and he says, if a son asks for bread... From any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is he saying? I love this part. He just, throw, just tucks it in there. If you being evil. What are you talking about? We're, we're pretty good people. We love our kids. I, cried, I cry when dogs die. I love cat videos on Facebook. Oh. Isn't that the absolute evidence of goodness? Isn't sent, you need to value sentimentality more, Lord. Right? We have all these, these criteria, these secret measures of goodness that we adhere to. And God is saying, no, you, if you being evil can do this, how much more God? What he's trying to do is, he's, he's, in his words, and this is what the gospel does, it creates separation between you and him. But where does this start? Where do we start? Well, right here. He's actually trying to convince them that God is at least as good as them and they're evil. Can you see the the issue? Listen, I'm just trying I'm not trying to even manifest who God is so you can give your all to him. I'm just trying to get him you to think that he's as good as an evil father. Oh, we really believe. We go to church, we lift our hands, we tithe from time to time. Again, superficial measures that make us feel good about ourselves. And God is saying, I want your heart. I want things, I want want to excavate your life. I want to excavate the depths of the things you regard, you don't know where you regard, and they stand, they stand indignantly against me moving in your life. But oh, what I could do. Oh, the things that I could pour out on you. If you would begin to seek me with all your heart, and I have placed in front of you, children of the Most High, every opportunity to put to death the things that are stealing from your bounty, stealing from your promise, stealing from your destiny, stealing from the abundance that I can pour out on you, and I'm looking, my eyes are looking, desperately searching to and fro over the face of the earth for one whose heart is full towards me. And he's saying, and I 
don't even need you to have a full heart towards me. I can do that if you just let me. All you have to do is keep saying yes. Yes, you are righteous. Let every man be a liar and God be true. Let every man be a liar and God be true. We come up against this wall again and again and again. And at the beginning of our journey, it takes days, weeks to get over these little humps. Okay, I'll get the haircut. Okay, I'll stop smoking drugs. Okay, I'll stop watching pornography. Okay, I'll stop doing this. But eventually there comes, there begins to be things that are closer to our identity and we refuse to give them up. And God says, well, there's a measure that I'm giving, starting with Jesus, who hated iniquity and loved righteousness. You've loved righteousness a little bit. I will give you a little. But you could have more. See, we're not dead yet. We're here. We're in this journey. And we have moments, we have weeks, we have months, we have every opportunity to say, God, change me. God, I am the man that needs to change. Father, I... I've spent so much time criticizing those you've anointed with the oil of gladness rather than recognizing that it's you that does the anointing and your criteria and your decisions are perfect. But I've found fault with you, O just judge of all. Forgive me. So I want us to say right now in our heart of hearts, God, align me. God, I've, I've made judgments against your body. I've made judgments against you. I've made judgments against your systems. I've... I've, 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 I've I've elevated myself and lowered you and felt just in doing so. God, change me. Change me. Listen, there is a quality of faith that I believe is about to emerge on the earth. And it's not just because there is a generation appointed for a certain time, but there's a group of people that say, God, change me. Do this full work inside us. Of me, I don't want to hold on to what's bringing death to me, not for a, not for a moment longer. I don't want to spend three months, ten years, reluctant about worshiping you and ugly crying. I'm willing to be humbled. I'm willing to humble myself because what you're offering is just so much greater. What he's offering us is so much greater. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But it has to do with the quality, the capacity of our hearts. Let's stand together. Holy Spirit, oh God, you who search the hearts of men. Lord, you said the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask for light. I ask for light in our spirit, that you would begin to search our hearts. God, in Jesus' name, Father, I ask for a divine work in this body that next week and the week after, Father, in quick succession, ah, idols will fall. Idols will fall. Idols will fall. Lord, we cry out to you. We want more of you. Can we just tell him we want him? 
We want you, Lord. You know, the greatest addiction is the addiction to ourself. The God complex. May we seek him in a way that we've never seeked him before. May God show us just because we've seeked him a certain way and it's looked a certain way that there's actually so much more than that. And as we seek him, he purifies our hearts. He heals us. He restores us. He shows us how to love one another. He shows us how to stop judging one another. We choose to seek you, Lord. We choose to seek you, Lord. We choose to lay down those idols, the stuff that right now we know gets in the way. Yet there's such a drawing to a God. Forgive us where we've chosen these things over you. We choose you. Amen.